Hello, hello. Welcome to this afternoon's BAFTA Games panel on games and kindness. My name is Ello City Wood. I'm a video gaming presenter and journalist, and I am joined by some fantastic guests. We've got a pretty incredible lineup today. Given the format, I'm going to let them introduce themselves, starting off with Dr. Pete Etchells. Hi, thanks, Al. I'm Pete Etchell. So I'm a, a reader in psychology and science communication at Bath Spa University. Uh, I do research on video games and how they affect us, what the behavioural and mental health and well-being effects are of video games. Uh, I wrote this last year. I wrote this book called Lost in a Good Game, which tells us uh, everything that we need to know about why we play games and what they do for us. Dan, would you like to jump in? Sure, yeah. So uh, my name's Daniel Liefegan. Um, I'm the Executive Creative Director of All Things Interactive at Ardman Animations. Um, so you probably know uh, stuff about Ardman, but it tend to be our shenanigans with clay. Um, but hopefully people are starting to appreciate that we also make games as well. We've been making games for about 10 years now, um, but only really recently at the scale that allows me to come and do things like sit on panels like this. Um, some of those games would be expected, you know, more recently we've done a, a family couch co-op play uh, called Home Ship Home, um, but, but really more relevant um, and also quite less expected uh, are a couple of projects. One of them is called 11.11 Memories Retold, um, which was a co-production with Digex Arts and Yoan uh, Fenice, who uh, is famous really for Valiant Hearts, that amazing game. He came and directed with us. And to, to scrunch down the whole game into one sentence, I guess it's a, a war game about peace. Um, and so it's a game where even though you are in war, uh, you potentially never fire a single shot. I won't give away too much on that. Um, and then the second project that's probably uh, quite relevant to this conversation is something that you won't know because it's totally unreleased. Um, it is a production, a research project that's been going on where we've been supporting it with gaming prototypes made by uh, a group called the Games for Emotional and Mental Health Lab based out in the Netherlands. And uh, this, the, this whole group has been researching um, how games can reduce anxiety and depression or mechanics sets can reduce anxiety and depression um, or as Isabella who runs Isabella Granick who runs the group uh, says more positively how games can increase emotional resilience and so this particular project was looking at social interactions in games and how they can be leveraged for this purpose how you can kind of get a positive change um, uh, affecting people's lives about it so I could talk about these projects uh, constantly but I'll stop there and pass on to someone else would you like to pick should I pick um, yeah and now this is the trick because I've already been told how to say your name but will I get it right or not it's uh, Zeba is that right did I close it's Zyba nobody Zyba. gets it right on the Apologies. first guess no not at all uh, yeah I'm Zyba Scott um, I run a small game studio called Pop Cannibal. Been doing that for about 10 years, based in Boston, Massachusetts. Um, and uh, most recently, we made a game called Kind Words, Lo-Fi Chill Beats to Write To. And that was me and uh, Luigi Guadieri, the artist, and Clark Abood, the musician. Uh, and that game is about writing nice letters to people. So it's all real people, online, anonymous, uh, writing about their fears and their concerns, and then writing each other comforting letters and trading stickers back and forth. Um, and uh, it's been a bit of a surprise for us how many people have been playing with. And uh, we recently were at about um, 1.8 million messages exchanged in the last eight months or so. Brilliant. Well, we've only got one spot left in the introduction train. So, Ellen, I'll hand over to you. Thank you very much, El. 
My name is Ellen Feste. I'm a, a producer and the creator behind the mobile game um, called My Child Lebensborn, developed together with Serapta Studio here in Norway. Uh, the game is about taking care of a seven-year-old kid in 1951 and discovering how the child uh, uh, had the, uh, an enemy German soldier as a father. And you, you have the challenge of looking after the child while it uh, experiences and discovers the the hatred and animosity in society. Uh, so it's really about uh, caring, uh, as, uh, and at the same time you learn the true story of what happened to these children. Um, and children born of war are born in every conflict, uh, and they live after the war being seen as symbols of the enemy. So that's a game based on true story, and I'm currently also a researcher at the Norwegian Film School, uh, researching emotionally charged interaction in non-fiction which is really sort of following up on the work from my child Evans. Fantastic, thank you so much. Well, as I said, see, I told you we had a stacked panel. It's a, it's a pretty amazing lineup. We couldn't have picked, I think, a better set of people to chat to today for our panel on games and kindness. So I'm gonna kick things off with kind of an obvious uh, topic, which is that we're all in isolation. We've had a, it's unprecedented times. I'm gonna use the word we all love to hear. And obviously we've seen a huge uptick in people turning to games to kind of cope with the social isolation. So kind of what, what games have you yourselves been playing? And for you, have games been a way to deal with kind of being cut off from the world? Um, what, what have I been playing? I've been playing uh, sporadically because I've got an 11 month old. So she takes up most of my time at the minute. Um, I've been playing Animal Crossing a little bit, uh, the new Final Fantasy VII remake, because the original was one of the greatest games ever, my own personal view. Um, but yeah, I love that. Um, and then just kind of um, bits and pieces of things in places. I found a game called Bit City for my uh, my mobile, which is um, it's a really kind of lazy game. It's sort of like a really cut down version of SimCity, um, but because it's quite repetitive, I, I find it quite therapeutic just to sort of play it for a little bit and and zone out uh, and zone out to that. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of picked up Animal Crossing just at the start of the lockdown because um, everybody said it was brilliant and we should play that. Um, I've not played it for two weeks, um, basically because I forgot to buy some turnips one Sunday morning and I was so devastated that I wasn't going to make any money. I just couldn't play it for a bit. And then I got distracted by, you know, kids and things like that. So, uh, yeah, bits and pieces of everything at the minute. Dan, how about you? Um, so I was thinking it through while Pete was talking. So I, I think the, the majority of my time has gone on to two um, social actions, which I didn't expect it to be. I, I'm normally a bit more of a loner when playing computer games, but um, it feels like I've been doing a lot of Mario Kart, like a lot of Mario Kart with my family. Um, and then that has expanded out now, now that we've worked out how to set up tournaments between friends. So um, so we've got tournaments now going on between um, friends and my, my seven-year-old, uh, who is really annoyingly good at Mario Kart, um, much to my, mine and my wife's dismay. Um, but yeah, so so we so his friends who are about the same age, we've all been playing together. And then in the evenings, um, uh, like the drug that it is, I keep falling back into Apex Legends every evening with a group of friends as well. So um, uh, so I, I rarely used to play multiplayer, but since lockdown, I've actually been playing a lot of multiplayer games. So. Apex, tell me about it. <laughs> I've been having a really strange time uh, with Animal Crossing. Um, 
particularly my wife doesn't play a lot of games and she asked uh, to play Animal Crossing. Oh, this is great. And it actually has a little co-op player. Um, and so we started playing it. Uh, but every time they try and get her to buy something or grow something, she has this really strong anti-capitalist reaction. It's like, why do I need a house? I, my fantasy is to be in a tent on an island. Like, why do, why do I even need a tent? And so we basically load it up every few days, carry our cots from one side of the island to the other and put it down and just go back to sleep and have like delved into none of the mechanics whatsoever. We're just camping on the island and she'd be very unhappy if we pushed it any further because why bring our real lives into this? So I'm almost playing Animal Crossing, but not really. And for me, I haven't played uh, that much, uh, but um, what I have been playing is Disco Elysium, which I just find a really fascinating game, really testing uh, uh, something new uh, and how you you develop uh, your personality um, uh, in a really interesting uh, way, going from a sort of gonzo character to actually having... Uh, uh, a moral or not, which I, I found really fun. And also just uh, exploring uh, uh, social VR in a new way uh, with um, uh, just testing to, to meet people as avatars because uh, I do get a bit tired of Zoom after a while. So having an avatar being able to sort of wave my hands and turn around and walk over to talk to people has been quite nice. That's a really good mix. I was expecting maybe, you know, Animal Crossing from everybody because it's all I ever see, but <laughs> that's a really good, a good mix of games. So, you know, as I said, we are kind of seeing people really turn to games, whether they're people who already play, whether they're new, new to the world of games. So Pete, I wanted to ask you in particular, what's the kind of psychological motive behind games helping with isolation? Why do they feel like they're bringing us together so effectively? So, it depends on the game, right? It, de it depends on how it's how it's crafted and whether it's designed um, to help in that sort of way. And I think part of the reason why Animal Crossing has captured so many people's imaginations is if you look at um, psychological theories around why we are motivated to do things, you can broadly categorize it in two ways. So extrinsic motivation, which is we do things because we get rewards for them or we get paid or we get praise. Um, or intrinsic motivation. So we do things because we like doing them and we enjoy them. And underpinning intrinsic motivation are three basic human needs. So autonomy, which is, you know, we like to have choice and freedom over the things that we do. Um, relatedness, so we like to be connected with people and, and engage with others. Um, and the last one, which I can never remember, competence, uh, which is, you know, we like to feel as though we have mastery over the thing that we do. So games which tick those three boxes tend to be the most popular games and they tend to be the most commercially successful. Um, not not always the case, but you know you, you can. There's a wealth of research over the past 10, 15 years that has shown that if you take games that look very similar to each other, but some of them score highly in terms of allowing you to do stuff freely, and the others don't, then you see that one was like the charts at the time, and the other one wasn't. But Animal Crossing kind of allows you to do all of those sorts of things. You can literally do whatever you want. You can try and become a turnip magnet like me, or you can try and uh, just camp on a on a uh, on a faraway island like Zyber, um, and that's fine. You know, it's literally, you're not breaking the game by doing that because there's there's nothing to do in the game, as it were. You you do what you please with it. Um, it's easy to get into. 
Um, it's, there's no particular learning curve with it. You can pick it up having never played a video game before and you'll get it pretty much straight away. And you can connect with people. You can invite people over to your island. You can go over to theirs. There's been some amazing stuff with Animal Crossing recently. Like um, people have set up graduation ceremonies in game. Uh, a, a, a US uh, sci-fi writer called Gary Witter has set up a, a late night talk show called Animal Talking, which is it's brilliant. It's like genuinely really compelling and watching. And so again, games those boxes are always going to be popular. Um, and the reason that they're popular is because they fulfill that kind of intrinsic need. They, they're enjoyable, basically. There's, there's no kind of magic to video games in that sense. They're not special in any other way. Like we, we play them because we enjoy them and we find something fulfilling and meaningful in, in doing that. So, Zyber, when you were making Kind Words, which obviously, as you mentioned, is a game where you send letters back and forth, were you, was there anything that you kind of built in to make it feel so kind of... I'm going to say profoundly connecting because when you play it, you really do feel like you're, if not building relationships, having intense moments with people that you never see, you, you don't know their names, you don't really know anything about them. So was that something that's just come about because people are often writing very personal things in the letters or did you kind of try and cultivate a sense of personal connection? Um, one of the things that Kind Words uh, gets to use as a tool that most games don't is the full bandwidth of communication of writing. Um, there's, it's just not a tool that a lot of games are mechanically able to work in there. Uh, if, even if you are writing, it's um, uh, not going to be uh, perceived, read by another person or, or full interpret. So it's just, uh, in terms of agency, it really lets you bring in uh, a wide and very specific uh, set of things. So you can, you can really dive into something unique about yourself um, and allowing you to bring that much of yourself to a game is immediately um, strikingly different than other game experiences. Um, and that's uh, what we found doing a, a previous writing game, which was about writing poetry and sharing it. But uh, the real twist that made this feel more personal and connected was to frame it as asking someone for a comment, to really frame it all around these pairings of, I, f I feel this way and I want, I want a connection on it, please connect with me. And then when others see that, you know, uh, you have permission to engage in their lives, unlike you do in hardly any other context. In your, you know, you may, you may meet a person and you can tell they're sort of sad, but you don't feel you have a right to dive into their personal life. And this is a framework that invites people to get personal and to talk about specific uh, elements of their lives that are really hard to in other contexts. So obviously, uh, and if we talk about your game, that's another game where it's kind of about connection, uh, but with a character, you know, that isn't real. It's not another person on the other side, but it does kind of teach you a lot. Interestingly, a lot about social isolation, which I think, you know, is very relevant now. But again, was that, were you trying to, of course, it is a game where there's a very definite aim to teach lessons, but was it more about people experiencing themselves or did you want people to come away with a very specific lesson that, you know, you had in mind? It, it started out with us wanting to tell the story so that people would know about these children and how the war isn't over when it's over because you have war victims after war because of the hatred. Uh, but uh, we also realized gradually during this <laughs> three years it took to develop this thing. Um, uh, one was that we needed to motivate the players to actually play through this story. 
and it is very dark and sad. So we found out that we really had to work with the caring aspect to make it uh, rewarding for the player uh, and to develop uh, the player's character to that the player can be present and be a force of good, uh, make, trying to make things better. And that's a really huge part of the game. And just uh, and then we have the uh, uh, the, the child giving you get the feedback of how you're doing by looking at the, the body language and facial expression of the child. You don't get any points. And just stroking the cheek of the child, the child will react to you and stuff like that. So, so uh, it, it, it wasn't where we started out, but it's, uh, it's a huge element of the game because otherwise I don't think it would have worked really <laughs> with that topic. So if we're talking about games kind of having a responsibility to teach, you know, I guess, Dan, I'm interested to, to hear more about, you know, you mentioned a project trying to build emotional resilience through games. And I'm really interested in this idea that so many people, you know, our panelists here today are trying to are seeing themselves as having a responsibility to to help people through games. It's not just about, you know, being entertainment. It's not just about you sitting down and having a fun half an hour. It's about you being a different person when you finish the game. So is that is that how you feel? Is that how you approach titles? I think yes and no. It really depends on, uh, I, I think the creative process is complex, isn't it? The, the seed that kickstarts that drive to turn something from, a, oh, wouldn't it be great to do this, to actually getting enough people believing in what you believe in to get something started. Um, but I think with 11.11 and def definitely, no doubt about it, with Alt Shift, and I think, and I do generally think with a lot of Ardman productions, you, we want to try and make the world a, a better place, don't you? You don't want to, it would be nice if we can, if we can all um, uh, unload some of our our general guilt that we carry around with us all the time by trying to make the world a better place and um and so when you can find that connection between something that that is positive to add to the world um and something that is entertaining i think they're the, they're the projects you think this has to happen we have to make this happen um and i think both 11 11 and um I, i'm using i realized i'm using the word old shift you don't know that's a code name for the project the other one that we were talking about um so both of those i think had that seed um and i hope we continue to do many of them on to the future as well so when it comes to teaching lessons through games and this is kind of an open question to anyone who wants to jump in and answer it how much do we think it's sticking? Because one of the things that I always think about is um, Overwatch had a really a really great scheme where they kind of had a little bit of trouble with toxicity in their community. And so one of the things they did was you could earn XP in the game and you can still to this day earn XP in the game by complimenting people at the end of a match. So instead of you know people kicking off and blaming people at the end, you could send these little kind of pre-chosen pre compliments like great teammate or you know great shot calling. Um, and, and, and me personally playing, I felt like actually that really genuinely did change the community. So I guess I'm interested in how much we feel like these things actually stick after people put down the game. Yeah, go for it, Dan. Can I? Can I? Uh, it's, it's only, and I'm, um, um, I'm really stealing and, and standing on the shoulders here of the team um, that with that we're working with with Old Shift. But I know. I mean, the, the simple answer is is yes, they do stick because for the 10, 12 years that they've been researching um, various mechanical sets, um, there is proof that, um, that certain games, certain mechanics have not only a psychological effect, but continue off after playing. Um, and I think with the project we were working on, we were trying to work out 
how to make that bridging even better, how to that experience, that kind of um, uh, experience that you believe humanity is better within the game, how do you transfer it to the outside world? And so the hypothesis with that particular, uh, this particular example was that because they were real people in a social situation in the game, you would be able to bridge and believe in real people when you take it away. Um, but even before that, the effects are definitely there. So I, th I think there is, it is, it is important to um, believe that we're doing things that have uh, lasting effects. Yeah, if I could add, sorry, in, in kind words, um, when uh, you write someone a letter, you can't, you thank them with a sticker, you can't write them a thanks. One of the biggest requests from people is to be able to write their own a thank you to someone. Um, and one of the reasons I've decided not to do that is watching how very much it frustrates people not to be able to close this loop of kindness and it bursts out of the game. And they start going to the Discord saying, someone was nice to me. I feel great. I need to be that. They say on Twitter, a good thing happened to me and I have nowhere to send this energy. And I don't want them to just close it back up in the game. And it's really great to see it popping out of there. So it's a little, I don't know, almost mean and perverse of me. But no, I don't want you to be able to thank each other in the game. I want you to let that frustration bubble over in a good way. And um, yes. Yes, and if, if we were to borrow a bit from uh, uh, research on, on VR experiences, uh, a couple of years ago, the United Nations, they, they did uh, experiments on, they had this VR experience called Voice, um, um, uh, Voice of Sidra, uh, where uh, they found out that, I mean, if you have a, a film where you're passive, you, you build uh, a sympathy uh, in an in, uh, immersive and interactive experience, which games are, and also VR experience, they noticed that uh, after people had, uh, experience Voice of the Sidra in VR, uh, the donations doubled and they remembered it for twice as long. And there are similar studies uh, do, done on VR, which really sort of documents that interactive and immersive experiences do leave a stronger impression on people. Oh, wow, that's absolutely fantastic. Yeah, I love that we, we genuinely can quantify a lot of it like that. It is really interesting to hear, you know, real examples where we can show that, you know, people do go out into the real world. And I like that kind of kindness explosion from Zyber, the idea that they just burst into the real world of it. And I guess, you know, recently I did an interview for the BBC and they were asking me, their opinion was, oh, you know, games are suddenly really kind. They're suddenly really positive. We're seeing, a, you know, a big rash of games that are designed to be lovely. And I was quite surprised because I feel like the games industry has always been, you know, there are toxic elements to it, but it's always been a place that's very welcoming. It does feel like a community. And so I guess I was interested, you know, as to, you know, your opinions as panelists, if if you felt that we are kind of, if this is a growing trend towards positivity, or if we're just starting to uncover something that's always been there within the industry. I'll go Pete. <laughs> well, I think you were before me, Ellen, you go first. Okay, okay. I, I actually think of it, I like to use the example of a library, that sort of uh, the game industry is so young. And we started with a very obvious versions, uh, um, talking, I think Pete mentioned uh, that we want uh, games to be enjoyable, but we want them to be uh, emotionally interesting. We don't want them to be fun. And uh, this library, we've just filled a couple of shelves and we have so many different genres and categories to explore. So I think that's uh, where, where the games that we've been working on are examples of uh, triggering different emotions. Uh, using kindness and seeing how kindness is really interesting for gamers. You don't have to have high scores or points. Um, yeah. And now Pete. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I think so. This is something that I'm really interested in because I do a lot of research on um, that that wonderful question about whether violent video games make us more more aggressive. And I think there's a theme there in that 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 sort of question has dominated a lot of research in psychology around what sort of effects games have on us. And in turn, they're the sorts of um, when studies come out that, that that claim that there are links, they're the sorts of things that really capture people's imagination. They're always the things that are splashed across the front pages of the newspapers. And I think that's kind of fed into a narrative over the past 10, 20 years or so that, that video games are bad. The games are sort of like first person shooters and, and first person shooters are bad because they're only negative experiences. Uh, you know, one of the most emotional experiences that I ever had in a video game was Gears of War 3. Uh, where one of the main characters sort of sacrifices himself to save the rest of the team. And it's this beautiful cinematic piece that I, I literally had to put the controller down and, and leave for a bit because I was so devastated. And, you know, it, it's not a nice experience, obviously. It's a sad thing to have happened, but it's in, in a way it's a really kind of positive way to be able to experience those sorts of emotions in a really nice and, and, and safe environment. And, and video games have always been like that we've just not quite noticed it i think there's maybe two things going on here which is that um you know video games have always been kind um you know it's not that they're, they're getting more kind in a sense but like helen says it, it it is a young um it's a young entertainment medium it is starting to mature a little bit now and as we're seeing an explosion in um indie developers in particular people who have they're trying to bring their own personal lived experiences to the types of games that they play um it does mean that we're getting a, a, an increasingly enriched uh, plethora of games out there where we can try and test all of these sorts of different emotions out yeah i often think of um of the evolution of the medium of games through the lens of, of what happened to comic books. My father was a comic book collector um, and, you know, and that had this interesting, uh, this transition of, of there are cheap things for children. Oh no, they're ruining our children. Uh, we need to have a, a voluntary code of ethics surrounding uh, comic books before they destroy us all. And, um, and now they've, you know, they've taken over media. Graphic novels are a much more respectable way to call a comic book a comic book. And, um, you know, they're assigned in classes and people are doing their PhDs on them. And I think games are well along that evolution, uh, but perhaps just a little bit behind in terms of some of the social acceptance of their merits. Dan, did you want to jump? Oh, Ellen, you, yeah. Just very short example, just um, Death Stranding, AAA title, where helping each other is such a beautiful and surprising part of the gameplay. Uh, helping each other transport in this uh, running around in this uh, landscape, which it's it's also um, it seems as if many of the, the large titles are looking for different uh, uh, ways of triggering different emotions uh, in their games as well. So it's sort of permeating through the whole industry, not not only in this. Yeah, I can't add too much because Pete said everything that was in my head. Um, but uh, because I, I do, I think that combination of of the rich, I, I mean, I personally believe that the creators have always played with all of these emotional gamuts, but I think the risks that large studios were willing to take um, uh, forced us down, you know, just in the same in every other piece of cultural media that we make, film, feature films are the same, the kind of big Hollywood titles versus the indie stuff. But I think we've, 
the indie, the, indie, the group of indie gamers, uh, indie game creators have come out and they've proven that there is so much more to offer. And that's allowed, created allowance for people, larger um, um, game creators to take these risks and do it. And I think Death, Death Surrounding is a great example because uh, it's just, I would say coincidentally, it is coincidentally, um, uh, I don't think Hideo ever came and uh, stole this information from us, but the work we were doing on Alt Shift, uh, which was all around that social connection, nearly every single one of those emotional and psychological kind of factors that we were attempting to create in the mechanical set is there in Death Stranding. So uh, either purposely or inadvertently, uh, he seems to have created a machine to allow kind of social um, a belief in other people and uh, joy from other people suddenly popping out from nowhere to say, here, have something. I don't want anything in return, just have this thing. So. Yeah, Death Stranding is really interesting. I know uh, on the Games Beyond Entertainment panel, that was something we had a big discussion about and how that, you know, did foster a sense of connection again with, you know, people you never see, people you never really, you know, interact with in any way you'd consider kind of genuine interaction. And yet it does, you care very much about the well-being of other people. I care very much about whether or not you have a ladder to get up that ledge I climbed for like six hours. So yeah, that's a, that's a really great one. And I think that's something I actually really wanted to touch on is, when you think about indie titles, that is where I think of really explicit examples of games that are kind, that teach empathy, that have these really profound lessons. You know, it is where it's, um, I think as, I think Dan, as you said, you know, you put it really perfectly that bigger studios don't like to take that very clear risk. They don't like to make things quite so explicit and indie titles have been able to have that freedom to explicitly say, we're trying to take you on a journey. We're trying to teach you something. So. What would you, again, open question to anybody here, what would you like to see bigger studios and, and kind of game designers going forwards adopt from smaller titles, from some of the more exciting, empathetic titles that we've seen? Oh, I like it. Everyone's thinking. Yeah, everyone's thinking. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'll jump in. I pray I'm thought long enough. Um, but uh, for me, there's something around the... Um, the challenges of bringing people together and bringing people together and trusting them to communicate and to build and to um, uh, to be a kind of a force for good, where I think a lot of social experiences with the risks of toxicity out there lock down um, this opportunity for community. And we know that the communities in gaming is huge, you know, it's massive and it, and it exists. And in some ways it's quite interesting um, uh, what was being said earlier, because I do think they exist outside of the game. You know, got this interesting ecosystem between streamers and players and the game itself. And, and it all kind of is one big murky community. Um, but I find that the, in the, the smaller titles are taking more interesting leaps in understanding how to use that community um, and I think the larger studios are a bit scared so we probably need to be braver in that I would say. Fantastic anybody else have anything they're, they're keen to see? Um, I'll go yeah. so I think um, it, it's, it's great that we've, we've already talked about Death Stranding but I think this is a really nice example where this is this has started uh, to happen that actually it's okay to have games that are compelling and, and AAA rated where you don't have to go around shooting people. Um, yeah, there's a time, time and a place for that. I have no problem with that whatsoever. But when I was saying earlier that I think, you know, that there is a, a sort of more of a shift towards kindness in games, I feel like maybe in part that's because lots and lots of 
big popular games over the past 10, 15, 20 years have all been those sorts of first-person shooter games. And, and yeah, I love them all. They're all great, but you get a bit tired of doing the same thing over and over again. And trying new experiences and trying those trying same experiences, but in a, in a different way, um, those, those are the sort of things that I think people are starting to, to crave more. Um, the, the social connectedness element of, of games is, is something that I'd like to see, like, like Dan said, uh, it's something that I'd like to see more of. It's a really interesting one from my point of view because, and this is not just an issue for video games, right? You know, the, the whole way that we talk to each other and communicate with each other online can get pretty toxic. And we've seen that in video games as well. They're, they're no different in that sense. But at the same time, it's kind of incredible that we have games like Kind Words, right? Where all of those boxes are ticked. You know, it's it's, it's anonymous. You, you, you will never meet this person. Practically speaking, they won't have any impact on your life and yours on theirs because you're never going to meet them. Um, you, you can essentially write whatever you want to them. And it's turned into this amazing positive experience that that people do get something out of they do get an uplifting experience out of it you know i've i've been on the receiving end of of uh of letters from kind words and i've sent them as well and both of them really make you feel good about yourself right you know and that's you don't get that in any other sort of entertainment media right you don't get that through watching a movie you can feel great after watching a movie but you don't feel as though you've personally done something um special and, and helped somebody and and using those sorts of examples um and thinking about how you can frame the way that we communicate in games from the get-go as a positive experience rather than as a sort of setting it up as a competitive or antagonistic experience that's that's the next step i think and if we can figure out how to do that properly then there's some amazing potential for how we communicate in them Yes. Uh, in a way, it's not so much what I want from the uh, big companies, because I think it's happening on its own. And uh, we consume so much media uh, and we um, uh, get spoiled and we want relevance. We want content that is, feels relevant to us on a personal level. And uh, uh, Earlier, you could have a genre and you created a new title, which was a new story and new setting, but the, the gameplay and was basically the same. And that's fine when it, it, I think it, you really need to know what genre you're in and what you are, what is the user journey, what, what's the value that you're giving your users? Is it just sort of uh, the mechanics that are even better than the last game or you have to be more relevant? So I think that uh, the, the industry is moving towards uh, uh, emotionally more interesting content because it, in a way, has to. Yeah. Um, one of the things I, I'm hungry for to see more of in games is games that are um, not necessarily simulations of an action. They are uh, taking those actions, which is that's one of the things we try and put in kind words. It's you are actually doing these things. Um, I've been contracting lately with um, harmonics of the music game pioneer genre with that. And one of the things I just love about their games, particularly like Dance Central, you are dancing, you are doing the thing in the game. And I'm not saying this is about making games that you know you have to become great at the, the task, but there is a certain real value and connectedness and agency to having such a clear mapping to, to your activities and what the game is about. And I love that. I'm looking forward to seeing more of that in games. Yes, Dan. 
Can I just add one more? I'm being greedy. I'm putting it too. It's only when Pete was talking about kind words, it made me realise as well the the emotional feeling I got when using it is something that I just never got in any other game because it included vulnerability. And I think every single game out there, almost every single game, is around power or some form of kind of a growth of power. Um, even you know Animal Crossing, your eventual kind of look at look at the scale of my uh, my island and and the power I have. Whereas when I played Kind Words, it was about being vulnerable and I think that was quite unique so more vulnerability that's what we need well I think that's really interesting because I think one of the things that um I found you know really unique about I think in particular actually three of the games that you know we have here today My Child Eleven's Born 11-11 Kind Words is that when I've talked about them with people I've described them in ways I don't describe anything else you know I never really come out of a film and I'm like I think it changed my life you know I never have these kind of really profound experiences with any other entertainment medium and so what is it about games that makes them so powerful that when we're talking about kindness when we're talking about empathy when we're talking about connection they're able to deliver those experiences like nothing else pete i might throw this one to you to start off with i thought about this a lot for, for the book and and it, it turned out that um somebody got there first before me and said it in a much better way so uh, naomi alderman the uh, video game critic and uh, games developer talks about this and essentially it's agency right so um books might make you feel uh, as though you're rooting for the main character, novels might make you cry, movies might make you feel um, as though you've been betrayed by the main character. But only in video games do you feel personally responsible for your actions, do you feel proud of what you've done, because you, you are the main character, you are the character. It's, it's that level of immersion in video games that I think is the sort of unique selling point for them in, in terms of entertainment. So um, one of the big things that, that I like exploring in video games is, is trying to find those, those titles that allow you to explore things like your own moral compass or um, how you might react in certain situations where you're actually kind of tested in that situation. Right? So you know, we all watch like superhero movies, right? And we think, you know, I, I could be that superhero and I'd be amazing and I'd definitely do the right thing. In video games, you're actually interrogated with that. So Firewatch is a good example of this. Um, in, in Firewatch, you can, um, you, the only other person you interact with, you, you do so over a, a, a radio mic, right? Um, and, and a lot of the game is, choosing how to respond to this person she's called delilah and you know you can do things like you know at one point you can maybe start flirting with her um and the you as the main character are, are you're married you know you've kind of run away from your wife because she's got um health issues and you're trying to deal with it yourself because you know that's the right thing to do um and you know i've played through that game countless times and you know the first time that i played it where i thought well let's try flirting with delilah i immediately felt upset and really annoying i was like henry what are you doing this this is disgraceful like you you're married and you know i'm also married and you know i've always like liked to think you know I'm, I'm going to stay loyal but i've never been actually put in that position where i've had to test that but firewatch kind of did it for me and it just reinforced the belief that yeah how i think i'd act in this situation if it were actually me i i would actually act you know i i I kind of maintain integrity and, and be loyal and all of those sorts of things. And that's a quite really, you know, it's an uplifting experience to be able to do that. You don't get that same sort of feeling through reading a book or watching TV or watching video, uh, watching movies. 
the, mag the magic is really in the interactivity because the game waits for you. Nothing happens until you give a response. And then uh, you make a choice uh, uh, and uh, the, the game answers and, and uh, evolves uh, um, um, in accordance with the choice you made. So you are responsible for what happens. And we really use that in My Child Levinsborn. I think the core of the game is uh, quite early, the, the child comes home, sits in the bathtub and suddenly asks you, what is a nasty kid? But it, it's been called that in school. And you have three different answers you can give. Uh, and you have to choose one answer. And so you have to think about oh, the whole situation. What do you say to a child in that situation? And there is no right answer. There is no sentence that would fix this. And you still have to choose one. And you, you answer something and the child, the child doesn't get happy. You can see it may, may, maybe different degrees of disappointment depending on your answer, but it's so heartbreaking when you have answered something and you can see the child getting sadder. So uh, actually very many young fathers have said that they can't play the game because it's too personal for them because they think uh, I, uh, it's so hard to think about how they can't protect their own child. So it's, um, but, but it's, you, you don't get that in, a, in the cinema because you don't have to interact with the material. So interaction is um, the thing for the future. Dan. I mean, I, I suppose I'm coming to defense um, of all other forms of media as well, I think slightly here, because I've, I've, I've spent the last um, 20 years of my life selling the amazingness of games and interaction, and particularly, as you can imagine, in a company that was dominated, and, and to some degree still is, um, but, but was definitely dominated by film and TV when I first joined. I've, I've been waving this flag for so long. But at the same time, the osmosis of being around other forms of media, I actually, I, I just think... As humans, we create amazing things and they take you on emotional journeys. And those emotional journeys are really powerful because I, I have watched a film where the choices that the, the hero is making have made me you know, deeply upset or, or deeply um, concerned or deeply excited and all those emotional states as well. So I do think... I, I don't think games are hugely kind of sitting above everything else. I just think they need to be appreciated like everything else as a human, beautiful little object of humanness that, that we are where we encompass all these things. Um, you know, I admit, I think agency and interactivity is what their point of difference is. And that there is one more thing as well, I think, which is the sheer amount of time people spend in games. You you hang out some of these universes for, uh, in some cases, hundreds of hours compared to, say, a couple of hours in a film. And I think that does make a, it's what makes them potentially so powerful as well. Um, but still, big up everything else. I love a book and a film. All right. Well, if we could just have Dan removed from the panel, that would be great. If anybody could <laughs> just kick him out. <laughs> no, Zyber, so, did you have anything you wanted to add to that? Um, yeah, I just want to add that, um, uh, that I think My Child Ladies Board actually did a, a really good job, even before it got to some of the heavier topics, um, at even just the moment where it gave me a washcloth and I had to wipe a child's face. This, this game was giving me, uh, it was trusting me and giving me an opportunity to interact with it. And, and at that moment, it had crossed a line of a medium that I don't get elsewhere. I was rereading one of my favorite books once and uh, uh, I got excited and I was recounting part of it to my wife and I said I did this and it just struck me like that's weird I've never I don't read books and say I did this it was so odd it was just wrong but that is a hundred percent of how I'm always recounting my adventures in game is is, is my narrative there um, so. 
Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm going to jump into the Q&A section because uh, I've just glanced at it. We've got quite a few questions waiting for us. So I'm going to, um, I'll, I'll try and get through as many as possible. And so if we can try and keep our answers uh, brief but informative because <laughs> we've got a few to get through. So um, first off, we've had a question from Brandon who is asking kind of more to our developers. Do you believe that a sense of emotional or social connection has to be cultivated or can it happen organically in a game through things like community? Understand. So a sense of emotional and a social connection to other players. Yeah, I, I, I think any community has to be cultivated and the seeds of which you plant at the beginning and the way that you nurture and trim it um, changes the way that uh, that community believes. You know, I, I've experienced in another world um, setting up online communities back when they kind of existed in, in that way. And um, it was so it was so interesting how how that initial group set up the culture for everyone else coming in when they came in they were told off when they were doing things they shouldn't do and rewarded when they were doing things they should and so you have to cultivate it in some way but i guess the question was about how you cultivate that i think you can use mechanics to cultivate that but you can also use the community itself the moderators the people you put in there as part of it as well that'd be my answer I'm going to take that as a, a move on. Right, so next up, uh, Courtney Garcia asked, how can we decrease the moral panic around games that contributes to the stereotype of them being seen as kind of harmful or meaningless? I guess, Pete, that's probably one for you. <laughs> yeah, so uh, this is something that we've written about um, a lot in the news. Um, it's a difficult one because we're, we're always going to get moral panics about new forms of uh, technology, um, things that, you know, the developers, Douglas Adams basically said anything that's uh, created after the age, after you're, you're 35 is against the natural order of things. So, you know, I'm very pro video games, obviously, but I'm sure that in like 10, 15 years time, I'll be rallying against the dangers of augmented super future VR or something like that. Um, breaking out of that cycle is, is really hard. Um, and it sort of takes, uh, it takes a lot of effort on everybody's part to, to be able to do that. So um, a lot of this is driven by quite hysterical news stories around the potential negative effects of video games. They're often based on scientific studies that, that really don't hold up under the microscope. But in order to be able to figure that out, you've got to have the, the sort of time and willingness and expertise and ability to go and, and interrogate those, those papers. And, and obviously not everybody has the, the desire or, or want to do that. So I think science communicators could do a, a much better job of, of con conveying nuance and complexity around not just video games, but a, a lot of different things uh, in terms of whether things are good or bad for us or not. Um, actually, I kind of think what's happened, you know, the current situation in capital letters, um, has really uh, provided a sort of sea change in the way that we see video games. Um, and I think Courtney mentioned the, the World Health Organization in a question, and that's a really interesting place because two years ago, the, the WHO... Uh, announced a gaming disorder um, as a diagnosable um, disease. Um, and at the start of the lockdown, it's not an about face because these sort of two 
um, positions to a certain extent are compatible. Start the lockdown, it started an initiative called Play Apart Together, where they were working with games developers, trying to encourage people to stay at home uh, and play video games so they weren't risking um, spreading the virus. Um, those two positions don't gel completely. Um, in my mind, you know, um, and we could have an entire day's worth of discussions around whether gaming addiction is an actual thing or not. Um, what I hope, though, that these that this sort of situation has meant is that people have kind of had to become fully faced with the reality that, you know, we're going to be playing lots of video games lots of time because we can't go outside and do anything else. And actually, they're not that bad for us because people's brains aren't melting by doing this. And hopefully that realization will make people think, oh, you know, maybe these kind of generalized worries around video games that we've had for so long were, were pointless. Um, and that's not to say that there aren't aspects of gameplay that you know, we, we, we shouldn't give it carte blanche, right? We, we, there should be things that we, we need to be careful around. And, you know, things like you know, what, what's an age-appropriate game and what sort of content is appropriate for different audiences and things like that. Um, but you, know, you can have those conversations while not resorting to these very um, granular conversations around whether they're all good or all bad. So hopefully that conversation will shift post-lockdown that's what that's what I hope anyway. Um, it could be that we just go back to business as usual, but who knows? Yeah, hopefully not. Well, speaking of business, we had Chris Phillip ask to our developers, what's been your experience in finding funding for kind games? Uh, he points out that he feels like some junior developers are struggling very hard to find funding for games who that don't have uh, industry standard income generating devices. Uh, well, Kind Words was published by Humble initially under their Originals program, which is an interesting thing because they are, that program is one of the only things that sort of is a steady, uh, they run a sort of steady search for experimental games. Um, and there's there's a big difference when you're small uh, and you're chasing funding for an experiment or something that is proven. Um, and so uh, it's... Um, Cozy isn't enough of a descriptor to figure out what kind of funding journey you're going to go on. You know, uh, if you're making uh, a big Animal Crossing clone and you've got the team to do it and you're going to put it on PC or PlayStation, you may find a lot of funding for that. But if you want to make something that is exploring a new avenue and a, a bold corner of it, you may be on your own to prove that that concept um, is, is going to be a commercial success. Um, and, is it, and is it just worth adding, just making, getting any game of any kind to happen is a horrendous um, and painful experience. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't assume that if you were making a uh, action adventure um, shoot 'em up, that it would, is any much, much easier at all to find funding. So. Yeah, I think that's a very good point. <laughs> so we've got another, another question for our designers. Nick Murray wanted to know, do you consider empathy a mechanic in your game? I don't even know if I consider kind words a game, you know, it's uh, empathy is, is in the ingredients there. Um, it's, and, and I would encourage people not to worry too much about whether what they're making is a game or a toy or interactive. Um, uh, empathy is in the mix, but it's a weird thing. Once you score it, if you score it like a game mechanic, you've kind of lost what it was in the first place. Um, so it's in my, for my money, it was best to put it in there and not try and treat it too quantitatively. 
I would say it's certainly a goal. So we really built and honed the mechanics to create empathy. So maybe it's not the mechanic, but it's certainly a very important uh, part of the mix. Yeah. Ellen just said what I was going to say there as well. I, I think it's a side effect, so I don't think it is a mechanic. I think if you want to make a game where you're either empathizing with the characters that are in there or with each other in a social structure, I think you strive to make that happen as a side effect of the mechanics you put in place. Um, but it's you can't really, you can't add the empathy mechanic um, in there. Fantastic. Now, Anastasia Glushkova, I hope I said that right, that's an awesome name, uh, is interested in suggestions of kind games to play with kids, if anybody has any of those. Just apart from Animal Crossing. Yeah, <laughs> I assume apart from Animal Crossing. But uh, yeah, if there's any kind of suggestions for things that you could play, that you could play with children that were, that were kind. That's that one of those questions that? where I've immediately gone blank. Yeah. <laughs> uh, any any game ever ever. Um my my kind of feeling sort of as as somebody who's who's done research on how we should interact with games is that um it doesn't and I'm sure other people will come up with more specific examples because they're they're smarter than me, but um it's not so much about the game that you play, but how you how you play it. Um, and how you interact with them. So, um, and I think this, again, it sort of goes back to that question around what moral panics, right? Which is, you know, um, games, when you're talking about them in, in terms of kids playing them, um, they shouldn't be a babysitter necessarily. Like screens generally, generally not a good idea as a, a, a babysitter, even though they're not going to kind of directly melt your kids' brains. But thinking about how you interact with them and how um, you use that as a sort of shared collaborative experience um, I think is really important, and, and especially if you don't play games yourself as a uh, as a parent, I get that that's a really hard thing to do because you, you know you don't you don't know which games are the right ones, or if they say can I play this one, and you know that they don't you don't want to play play in that particular game, you don't have other suggestions. But starting to to play with them um, can really help open that up. And that's not to say you have to become a gamer yourself, but it'll give you that little bit of knowledge about what sort of um, games might be appropriate and might be useful. It might be kind of interesting um, to play. One of my favorite games on the Switch is um, Snipper Clips, um, which is, is, is a really good game to play with kids because um, it's a collaborative game. So you've got to work together as two little weird shape things to kind of clip uh, the environment that you're in to achieve a certain goal. Um, and you know, we wouldn't necessarily say that that's a kind game, but it teaches kind of team building skills and kind of the, the importance of collaboration. And you can chat to each other about it as well. I just remembered another one before I kind of hog the time completely, but um, depending on your kids' levels of um, language abilities, so this is kind of maybe for older kids, there's a really good iPad game, uh, tablet game called Space Team. So you need like multiple iPads and smartphones and things to use it because everybody needs their own um, control system. But basically you're on a, a spaceship that's completely falling apart and on your screen is a little um, control panel with weird and crazy names for things like a discompobulator knob and things like that. So you get instructions about what thing to press or what button to press or thing to turn and sometimes they're on your screen but sometimes they're on somebody else's screen so you've got to shout out instructions and listen to what other people are saying and it's it's good crazy fun um but again it's just one of those whenever i've played it with with friends you just end up in floods of tears of laughter by the end of it 
Um, so not inherently a kind of time game in a sense, but a really funny game. I mean, I would also add Mario Party, teach your kids not to steal. That is, <laughs> don't steal stars. That's kindness right there. <laughs> but in general, I like any of those team games for children. I think they're quite fun for, you know, teaching them to work together. And, and that sometimes it's not just about you winning. It's about, you know, the participation. Um, and so I think our final question, uh, I, I really like this one that just came in now from Jeremy Wilkinson. And he was interested if there were any kind of specific game mechanics for generating any emotion that uh, any of you could highlight that you'd enjoyed in a game that you would kind of recommend as a good example of, of how to make your player feel something. I, I can I mean, jump in one, a quick one of the most, the weirdest and most uh, sudden and, and dramatic moments I had was, and this is, nobody's gonna be doing this anytime soon. I was playing Mass Effect with the Connect voice recognition enabled. And I had to say something out loud. And that's something I had to do so rarely. I had to break up with someone. I had to make an, a relationship decision and not just hit a button. I had to say the words to a roughly life-size face on the TV. Um, that was an instant, like, what am I doing moment. I'd like to see more of that. I mean, there's a classic. I just, I feel torn because by saying it, you're also giving away a major part of the game. If I mentioned brothers, um, shall I shall I say it? I'm looking to the panel. Do I do I explain I this or is this uh, yeah. does that ruin the game for everyone? I tell you what, if you haven't played brothers, uh, don't listen anymore, and I'll wave when you can come back. If you're okay, there that we are. Way. Good. All right, go ahead. So, um, but for me, that moment, and I think that was just so powerful, is um, uh, you're playing with two characters that um, you you are interacting with both of them and they are the mechanic of doing things and one passes away um, but the thing that makes it feel so powerful is that 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 mechanic has gone and so you are now missing your your right thumb I'm doing this in front of me because it's like all of a sudden it's missing and, it, and you can physically feel that lack of ability and power and loss in the shift in mechanics um, and it just it just chimes so perfectly on top of the the emotional loss that they play in the story so just line them up, I think, is the important thing there. I'm doing my comeback. <laughs> Come back to us if you haven't played Brothers and you don't want it spoiled. We're done. We're finished talking about it. <laughs> All right. Anybody else have a um, something they'd like to highlight from a game in particular? Okay, lovely. I guess I'll, I'll quickly drop in mine, which is um, if if you played Everybody's Gone to the Rapture, there's um, I think there's something about telling you a story that you can't participate in. I think sometimes actually in games, I'm so used to being able to change things, things being interactive, me being a part of the story that actually to play a game where I wasn't part of the story and I just had to listen to really, you know, heartbreaking snippets, heartbreaking memories and fragments of a story. I think that that was something that for me was really profound. It really, it's a game that was, it's very moving in a, in a number of different ways, but just actually playing a game where I really couldn't interact. That was such a big change that for me, it made me really listen and pay attention to the stories I was hearing. Whereas sometimes you're like, you know, skip cutscenes, get me through, get me to the next bit where I can play. And, and so to have that kind of agency stripped away from me made me really focus on the story they were trying to tell me. So, I, you know, that was something I thought was very profound. 
but yeah, that was our final question. Um, we are, we, we made, we're only two minutes late. I'm very proud of that. We really <laughs> got through those. Sorry if we didn't have time to get to your questions. We had loads of really fantastic ones, really difficult to, to choose which ones to pick there. But a huge thank you to our panellists. You were absolutely fantastic. As I said, I was really excited to have you all here. And uh, I think you definitely delivered your lift up to the promise of your very impressive introductions. So thank you very much. And thank you, BAFTA, for hosting this wonderful panel on games and kindness, a really important topic and one that's relevant more than ever at the moment. So we will see you again another time for a different BAFTA panel. I'm sure equally is interesting but not quite as good as this the first so <laughs> thank you all thank you everybody for watching and thank you to our panelists goodbye thanks for joining us and remember you can listen to previous BAFTA sessions and podcasts at guru.bafta.org <laughs>